morning, Overlake. It is good to be together. I'm, I'm Pat, one of the pastors on the team here. And I got to start by doing this. I, I just have to brag about Pastor Mike for just a brief moment here. I, I do not know many lead pastors. I do not know, I think, any lead pastors that are the camp speakers at their church's middle school camp. And that's exactly where he is now. We have a picture. Last night he was texting me. I know, who's having more fun in this? Like him or the middle schoolers, right? Just it's going great. He's having so much fun. Uh, he's excited to be back next week, bringing the word next week. Uh, but, but I just want to keep the bragging going because uh, uh, the last week, you, Overlake, you have hosted nine different block parties just on your own. You've decided to get neighbors together. Yeah, give you guys yourselves a hand, seriously. That is, that is good work. That is good work. It is not easy to remind your neighbors that they're not living next to tr strangers. They, they live next to friends. They just need to meet them first. And so that's what block parties have a way of doing. Uh, and, and so I just feel like Summer Connection is going so great. We're in week seven right now. You guys have gotten on board with the park parties on Sundays. There's two more happening today. There's block parties happening. Uh, but I feel like it's spilled over into just throughout the week, at least for me. At least for me, I feel like I can't go a day without running into someone somewhere. You guys are everywhere. I, I just made a list of, of things that came to mind. This is where I've run into Overlakers kind of throughout the summer. I ran into Elaine Johnson, who I know is seated right there, my neighbor, Elaine Johnson, just out for a walk the other day. Uh, Matt Brown at the Kirkland Library, Steve and Becky Fluger at Urban Coffee Lounge. Great place, guys. It's a great place. Uh, Cassie McKinney at the Juanita Beach Kid Concert. I'm there every Tuesday, 10 a.m. There's only, I think, one or two left. Uh, the Friday Juanita Farmer's Market. You guys can tell I spent a lot of time in Juanita. Uh, uh, but Matt Motley, he's got his, his, his uh, bakery down there every week. Matt Motley's there. Uh, the, guys, the Thursday night... Kirkland Summer Concert Series. You have to go. You will run into all kinds of friends there. Uh, and this Thursday is Petty Differences, a Tom Petty cover band. There's a couple Overlakers in the band. You guys have to come. It is so fun. Get ready to cut the rug. Sailor, our little one-and-a-half-year-old, he totally gets down. He will, he will totally boogie. We, uh, we showed up, and the Whitfields were there, the McCorkles, uh, uh, Yusuf and his, and his wife Jacqueline. They just got married a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were there. We were just having a good time together, totally unplanned. Uh, there's just all kinds of life to be enjoyed. Even, even as I've been doing kind of these little morning walks, my little bird-watching tour that I go on, uh, uh, I've been coming back, and the, the, the 255, I'm, I'm, I'm walking by a bus stop, the 255 stops, the door's open, people are getting on, and a voice from inside the bus, I kid you not, this happened just last week, a voice from inside the bus says, hey, I bet that kid's name is Sailor. And I'm like, what's going on? I look in. The bus driver is none other than Roger St. Louis, a deer overlaker. And, we, and, and now when he drives by, it gives me a little honk and a little wave. It's, just, it's awesome. It's awesome. Guys, and that just goes to prove. I, I share all this because there's a point to be proven here. Church isn't something you do. It's not just a place you go to once a week for an hour, hour and a half. It is a way of life. Church, it's a people we are called to be the church. It should be something that's happening throughout every area of life, everywhere we live and work and play. And so let's make a deal. I would love to make a deal here collectively, the Overlake family. If you run into someone that I don't even care if you know them, if they look familiar to you from church, bravely walk over and say hello. And if you've met their name, maybe you've sat next to them for 
maybe years. And, and the welcomes have become a little awkward because you just don't even remember their name. You go through the questions, but you avoid the name. There is no shame. There is no shame if you forget names. Just get to know the people here at Overlake. It is a beautiful family. So all that, all that to say, you guys are killing it. It's just been such a fun summer. And now we will dive right into where we're going this morning. So if you want to follow along, feel free to grab those message notes inside that handout. If you are new and this is your first time, again, Lee said this, but I just even want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we've been going through a series all summer where we're just looking at stories that Jesus told. So everything we've been looking at are the words of Christ, the words of Jesus. There's some Bibles that those words are written in red. And so uh, that's what we're looking at this morning. And, and it's a great opportunity to even uh, follow along in a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And, and if you don't have one, that is our gift to you. Make sure you leave here with that in your hand. But here we are. We're in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. So Jesus is teeing up the story and he's saying, I'm about to share something with you that's supposed to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. Another way to think of that phrase is that when Jesus is king, what's his kingdom look like? When Jesus is in charge, what's that look like? What can you expect? What, what are the values? What are the dynamics in play? And it's not just something that, that, that some ethereal place that we head off to after our earthly lives here are over. He's talking about a kingdom that's coming and invading and moving into this world, this reality. And he's using a vineyard to speak to it. So everyone from Woodenville just kind of leans in a little bit like, ooh. I learned this week, Pastor Mike said there's 120 different wineries represented in Woodenville right now. Blew my mind. Uh, but here we go. Jesus is telling this story. A, a man who owns this land heads out to get some workers early in the morning, like 6 a.m. And he, and he strikes a deal and he says, I'll pay you a full day's rate if you come work in the vineyard. And so that's, that's the first couple of verses there. We continue. At 9 o'clock in the morning, so a few hours have gone by here at this point. He was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So instead of a, an exact payment, he's just saying, hey, trust me, I'm an integrous person, but I'll just pay you whatever's right. Come and work in the vineyard. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon. And again, at three o'clock, he did the same thing. So this guy keeps going into the town, into the marketplace where there's people waiting for work, and he keeps recruiting them, bringing them into his vineyard to do the work that needs to happen. The way I picture this is it would have made a lot of sense if Jesus perhaps shared this story during the harvest season. Maybe that's why he shared this parable, is this is what's on everyone's mind. That it's a time of urgency that all landowners, anyone who owns a vineyard is thinking through the idea of this fact that you have to get to the harvest before it spoils. And that this is a way you would do it. You would recruit these workers to work out in your vineyards. It gets interesting here. Verse 6, at 5 o'clock that afternoon, so at this point, there's only one hour left in the workday, everyone. There's only one hour left, and this man goes into this town says he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Doesn't even offer him payment at this point. Perhaps he's just giving them the dignity of actually getting to do work. 
something fulfilling in their day, even though there's only an hour left. If you've ever been picked last for something, you know that this can be a little embarrassing. It's a little embarrassing to be out there at 5 o'clock anyways. What came to my mind was if you ever watch the NFL draft, there's always one guy that's fallen down on the board. For some reason, teams keep passing up. They don't know what's going on, and, and the cameras start to go on this. Perhaps it's a quarterback or linebacker or someone else, and you can just see the stress they're under, the anxiety, the misery, the embarrassment. There's nowhere to hide, and I kind of picture that these workers have lived a day that looks far similar. And then finally, with one hour left, this landowner invites them to work into his vineyard. It gets a huge, a huge turn comes here in the story. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So that's strange. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. So get this. These guys show up, one hour left, they get paid as if they were there the whole day. The whole day. When those hired first came, so those that were hired at 6 a.m., they've been there all day long. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. I know I would have also, right? But they too were paid a day's wage. What is the story doing here? When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. I know if, if, if by raise of hands, actually, if you'd been there at 6 a.m., would you be protesting too? I know I would. I would have been calling the chief of my labor union. I would have been getting ready to organize a worker's strike. You better believe I would have really gone all the way in on this protest. Here's what the landowner says, though. He answered one of them. I love that. He goes from addressing a mob to actually making this personal. He answers one of them. And he starts off by saying, friend, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Eugene Peterson coins this idea, the great reversal, and it's another theme that Jesus is using as he gives these parables, these stories of what his kingdom is about. I feel like there's some parables, there's some stories of Jesus that make perfect sense. They kind of go in this nice, neat bucket of it just is like super intuitive. Like build your house on the rock, not on the sand. When the storms of life come, it'll remain standing. Totally get that, right? No one's going to argue on that one. Then you have a story like this. A landowner pays someone who worked one hour the same as someone who worked 12 hours. What? What is going on? And yet there's so much truth here that we can unpack for our lives and our journeys. And so if you want to follow along and, and take in some notes, the first lesson that we can take away is that like the landowner, Jesus shatters expectations. Shatters expectations constantly. And we'll get to even uh, deeper parts of that later. But, 
But what, when, when I think of this word of shattering, what comes to mind is, I was trying to think, this would have happened about 13 or 14 years ago. Lee and I are dating in high school. I'm over at her house with a group of friends. We're sitting in the living room playing one of those super fast-paced card games where you're trying to empty your hand and there's various piles. So, it, I mean, it's just uh, it's all kinds of fun. But arms are flying everywhere. Cards are flying everywhere. Well, I'm seated right in front of the entertainment center, which was brand new. Gary, my father-in-law, just bought this brand new entertainment center. His TV's up, uh, you know, on top of it. And it has those nice smoke glass little doors that kind of swing open. And, and so there I am seated. And one of my bony, uncoordinated elbows shoots back at some point in the game. And this thing turns into a waterfall of glass. Into just a gazillion of pieces just drop to the floor. Metaphor. That, that glass door expectations. My bony little elbow, Jesus. He just, he just shatters expectations. <laughs> shatters expectations. Do you think the last workers were a little bit surprised at the pay they received at the end of the day? Absolutely. Just like my father-in-law. Just stunned. <laughs> stunned. Here they are. Not only are they receiving just a couple, couple tired-looking nickels at the end of the day, but they're actually the first ones on the roll call when it comes time to receive payment. And so in full view, which is another kind of strange imagery here, they're receiving a full day's wage. It seems that they're the first ones in, or, 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 or the first ones in or the last ones out. The, rather, the last ones in are the first ones out. That great reversal. It seems that the kingdom of God uses the LIFO accounting method. That was a terrible accountant joke for my brother in Wisconsin who's a CPA. So, John, that was for you. I love you, brother. <laughs> Guys, you know the Holy Spirit's on the move when, when there's accountant jokes, right? That's, that's when you know. It's, it's been a good day at church. But the 5 o'clock workers, they're asked to come to the front of the line, and when they do, they receive that full day's rate. Now, imagine them coming home after spending the, the vast majority of their day unemployed, stressed, thinking through probably in their mind, what, how are they going to tell their family that they're, they're just going to have to go to bed just a little hungry that night, that dad wasn't able to get work, and yet rather they get to come home with the good news that someone gave me a job and paid me out of my mind for one hour of work. That last hour, by the way, is like the easiest hour there is. It's like the cool of the day. It's like cleaning up. You're putting the tools away. You're just kind of sweeping up the mess. You're just hosing off your sandals. They get a full day's wage. Now think, let's get in the minds now of the people hired at 6 a.m. Do you think their expectations were shattered? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure they were shattered. Imagine them being in line. They see that these people who worked one hour gets a full day's rate. I know what I'd be doing. I'd be doing math. I'm carrying the one. I'm moving the decimal points. I'm rounding to the nearest whole number. I'm realizing I'm about to be paid a couple weeks worth of pay for one day's work until my expectations shattered when I received the same rate that, by the way, it's not unfair. It was promised. It was promised. It was that I committed to. Unfair is getting to the front of the line and getting only half of what that landowner would say he'd give you. And yet get a full rate. What's, 
what's perceived to be unfair, what gets under the skin of those that have worked the longest part of the day is the fact that this landowner is generous, generous, out of his mind, generous. And that is the point. Perhaps this story highlights the difference between those operating under the paradigm of religion versus those who are recipients of grace. Perhaps that's exactly what Jesus is teeing up, just brilliantly. Let me read this section to you. I, I, I really want to get this right. Religion is hard work. Religion is hard work. You have to do X, Y, and Z to rightfully qualify for the promised outcome. It leaves you exhausted. It leaves you with blistered hands and a worn-out spirit from constant performance. Now grace. Grace is transformative. You receive an outlandish gift, completely undeserved. Nothing you did warrants being given such a lavish gift. It leaves you radically thankful, filled with joy, boldly sharing with others the good news of the gift giver. It leaves you changed. In Bible terms, that's the new covenant. Religion has a way of leaving people jealous and angry, frustrated, burnt out, constantly judging others' performance, comparing it against your own to see who should get paid more. The religious look down upon recipients of grace and they cry out, it's not fair. And you know what? They're right. They're right. Grace isn't fair because it's a gift, not a wage. Paul never uses the word fair in describing the attributes of the Spirit of God. Let me read for you. Let me remind you what is written about what we know to be the Spirit of God, his essence, who he is. The Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he kind of echoes the words here at the end, just as Jesus kind of alludes to in his story. Against such things there is no law. Fairness doesn't make the cut, doesn't make the list. Not because God's unfair, because he's far more, far better than that. He's gracious. Our God is gracious, and it shatters expectations. And it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus shatters expectations, especially as we just hear and, and investigate and learn and study what his life looked like. Here we are thousand strong plus right here in this room gathered because of a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew whose life came to an end about the same age I am. That shatters expectations. We're here because of a man born in a manger, the home of animals, to an unwedded teenage girl. He became a refugee when a genocide is ordered by a local politician. He grows up in the armpit of Palestine, a place called Duval. I mean, sorry guys. Uh, oh, my, note, my notes are a little wrong there. Nazareth, Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth. At the height of his career, if you even want to call it a career, at the, at the height of his career, his inner circle of followers are a bunch of ragamuffins, a total mishmash of guys and gals with colorful backgrounds that represent a host of undesired professions. He chooses to wine and dine with those Notorious sinners, those people. Then as king over all creation, creator of all things, sustainer of all life, he's raised up on his throne, a Roman cross, 
donning a crown, not of gold and jewels, but of twisted thorns. And while undergoing his crucifixion, he does not cast down thunderbolts of divine retributive justice on his tortures. Rather, he forgives them. It's on the cross where we most clearly see the heart of God, a God who is love. A God who somehow bears all our sin and shame. All of history's violence coalesces into a singularity on that cross. And he breathes his last only to shatter expectations. On the third day, he waltzes out of the grave. Because he was fully man, he dies. But because he is fully divine, the grave cannot hold him and he conquers death. Jesus shatters expectations. Second point, so deep, the story has so much, but like the landowner, Jesus includes those people. Verse 12, how, how is it that those that have worked through the heat of the day for 12 long hours label these five o'clock workers? They say this in verse 12, those people worked only one hour. Now, time out. Time out for a moment. And thinking through our story, there is a reason why these people would have been left at the marketplace. Especially if this is the time of the harvest. All kinds of vineyard you know, owners and foremen are coming into town and rallying up some, some employment, some, 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 some able-bodied hands to take them back in, in, into their vineyards, into the harvest fields. And yet here's those that can't find work, that, that they just keep getting passed up. They just don't make the cut, not, not just at 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock or noon or 3, but they're there at 5, hopeless, filled with anxiety. Their expectations of employment have dwindled, and now they're just praying for a miracle, and a miracle shows up. Other landowners have come in, and no doubt they've judged them, perhaps by just their outward appearance. Labeling them as, as them as too weak or too old or too young or too queer or too out of shape. Or maybe the discrimination was along the lines that they were disabled or undocumented or didn't speak Hebrew or had the wrong skin color or stains of alcohol on their shirts. It doesn't much matter the reason because by verse 12 they become known as those people. Dare I say this has been humanity's longest struggle that there are some that are scapegoated, victimized, abused, raped, tortured, killed because they've just been labeled those people by some dominant culture or race or political party. You see it happen throughout all of time. You see it happening even today in this world. And what Jesus does is he's radically changing the paradigm of the hearers of this day and of our day as well. He's moving people from what would be called a bounded set paradigm where you're either in or you're out. And this, this image here will help us because this is how they would have been thinking in this day. You're in if you're a Jew. You're out if you're not a Jew. If you're a Gentile is what you'd be called. You'd be in the circle if you are free, but out if you're a slave. You'd be in the circle if you're a man. You'd be out of the circle if you're a woman. What Jesus does is he erases the line. He breaks down the barrier. This is what reconciliation looks like. He replaces bounded set thinking and paradigm with centered set thinking. With a whole new way, a whole new reality. He says, I am the center. He says, I am the center. The invitation is to every single person. 
regardless where you're at, regardless who you are, to just ever increasingly draw one step closer in relationship with me. That's the invitation of Jesus. It's to everyone, the athletic and the bookworm, the citizen and the undocumented, indigenous and immigrant, veteran and convict, gay and straight, early risers and night owls, conservative and progressive, patriot and Seahawk, rich and poor, (laughs) adoptive and biological, millennial and baby boomer, introvert and extrovert, single and married, brown and white, apple and PC. Jesus loves everyone. (laughs) Ever increasing, oh, clap for Microsoft, come on, no. Do you see how that's a radically transformative view? That's what grace does. Everyone's included. And church, here's what I would say, Overlake, Overlake. We are becoming known as that type of church. We are becoming known as those who love with the same love of Jesus, that we love everyone always. Yes, amen. And the invitation is to continue, and it becomes radical, but it transforms things. And that's what the kingdom does, is it shatters expectations. It shatters expectations. The last point I have, last fill-in, is just this. It's that, like the landowner, Jesus is always hiring. Jesus is always hiring. Always. Think of this. As long as this particular landowner lives in this town, there is 0% unemployment rate. (laughs) Guaranteed work program. Livable wages. Think of how much that this landowner, by hiring those looking for work, actually ends up blessing the entire community. Kids are eating. Families are cared for. That's what the kingdom of God does. As we work in the harvest, as we accept the invitation to live into Jesus' ways, as we become his workers, as it were, The kingdom starts to find its ways of blessing into all kinds of nooks and crannies of our communities. That's what the kingdom does. He's hiring at six, at nine, at noon, at three, at five, at the last minute. Will you join him in his work? Whether you're six or 16, 28 or 39, 44 or 58, whether you're 62 or 75, 81 or 99, Jesus is still hiring. He's still hiring. And if you're like me and you've been following Jesus for perhaps your whole life from a young, young age, don't go thinking you're a 6 a.m. worker. If you are hearing these words, you are an 11th hour worker. Put on our historical lens for the moment. 6 a.m., you have people like Noah and Abraham. There's no Bible yet. There's not even 10 commandments yet. Here are people just simply living out their faith in the one true God who is eternally love. Nine o'clock, you finally get Moses and Joshua and the judges, kings and prophets. Finally, at noon, the Messiah shows up, Jesus Christ, the living word of God. The disciples, the apostles, three o'clock. Three o'clock, we have those who have gone before us in the church traditions of history. The desert fathers and mothers, Thomas Aquinas. We have those who give us living examples of what it means to spend your life working in the harvest. People like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a dear friend of Overlake, an Overlaker who passed away just this last week, Victoria. We have those who have gone before us, showing us what it looks like to be in the harvest. 
Every single one of us is a five o'clock worker, recipient of grace. Will you respond? Will you take the invitation to work, to bring this kingdom here and now? And in just a moment, we will enter back into worship to reflect on this grace, this grace that is transformative. Thinking of this, this grace that we've received and how it actually shatters expectations of those around us, of the powers and the paradigms in our world, in our society. We get to live out our lives of work, of loving whoever those people are. Whoever society has labeled those people, they get to come alongside us. They are welcome to the party. And so instead of having everyone stand at once as we worship, I want to invite you to stand when you hear yourself identified. Because I want this imagery, I want this languaging of, of being hired into the harvest, into the, into the vineyard of Christ. I want it to really become something that you sense is personal. That this invitation at kingdom work being intentional. And so if you are in the business or financial sector, please stand up. You are hired. You are invited into the kingdom work, into the vineyard. If you are in the tech sector in some way, please stand up. You're hired in the vineyard. If you're retired, your work ain't over. It's time to stand up, get to work in the harvest. If you're in medicine or healthcare, stand up. If you're in the public sector, working in government or law enforcement or the armed services, stand up, be hired, and bring the kingdom where you are. If you're in education as a teacher or student, stand up. If you're in engineering, if you're an artist, if you're in construction of some kind, if you are in some form of transportation or aviation, if you're in retail, a restaurant, hospitality, or the service sector, stand up. Oh, workers of Christ. If you're in the beauty industry, sports, or entertainment, stand up. If you are in a transition in between jobs right now, you are hired, stand up. If you're in social work or nonprofit, stand on up. And if you have breath in your lungs, stand on up. So let's get to work. And you don't get to work until you realize what grace has done for you. So let's reflect on that. And then let's be the church. Let's get out in the harvest. Let's bring the kingdom. Amen.